Hey, Sparks fans, it's your host, Christian Huey. This is episode 13 of All You Ever Think About is Sparks. I interviewed filmmaker Peeny Schatz from his home in Tel Aviv on April 5, 2020. We had a couple of brief exchanges over Instant Messenger some weeks before, trying to nail down a good time for both of us to chat for this podcast, but we hadn't been successful. Well, for good or ill, COVID-19 settled that for us. As in much of the world, Israel was under a near-total lockdown on the day we spoke. Throughout the interview, uh, I learned uh, Peeny had very good reason to feel bittersweet about revisiting his most recent film, the one we're discussing today. And watching the film again, I realized something else to feel a sudden nostalgia for. The Fellowship of Fandom. In person. See, most of Never Turn Your Back on Sparks takes place in crowded public spaces. And here in the season of social distancing, I sure missed that. Convention halls, music clubs, pubs, film festivals... These are places and opportunities for different kinds of folks to gather together to celebrate a shared interest. And in Peeny's film, that shared interest is, of course, the music of Sparks. Peeny completed the film in 2014, but he began it sometime before that, uh, around his 50th birthday, in fact, as he states near the beginning of the movie. Um, and as a result, the film contains footage from across a few years, but most of it is from 2011 and 2012, around the time of Ron and Russell's Two Hands, One Mouth tour. And besides doing some aggressive fundraising on his own, Peeney received financial backing from producer Gidi Avivi and the Tel Aviv-based Vice Versa Films. Now, previous to Never Turn Your Back on Sparks, Peeney's best-known work is the documentary Blood, the Liquid of Life, a similarly quirky take on that ubiquitous red-red croovy that our hearts work tirelessly to circulate but at the same time, really icks some people out to their core. Hey, Ron and Russell really liked it. I cannot wait to see it myself. Not to be too cute about it, but the eccentric, often fascinating Sparks fan community is the lifeblood of the film that we're about to discuss in this interview. Uh, in the movie, you get to meet rock music legends like Tony Visconti, Jello Biafra, as well as some truly unique fringe characters like the woman obsessed with painting, like Marge Simpson and Ringo, the visage of Ron Mayle, and a multitude of permutations. Just wait until you see Ron as a flower, literally. Uh, and then there's the so-called Sonic Laminator, who records the sound of his machine zipping up into hermetically sealed sheets of plastic, things as varied as Sparks' propaganda LP, and uh, pubic hair. Why not? Peeny himself is a character in the movie. His scruffy, shambolic presence, driven by his childlike enthusiasm for all things Sparks, really strings together the desperate scenes, which has him and his tiny film crew zigzagging across Europe, North America, and even the Holy Land. On screen, he comes across a bit like an Israeli Michael Moore, but without a political axe to grind. While introducing his origin story to the audience at the top of the film, Peeney includes a genuinely amusing observation that a Jewish boy living in Israel in the 70s might come to admire a rock star with a Hitler mustache. That dichotomy itself is emblematic of the very weird pairings of opposing concepts we see throughout the film, including the high art versus low art analysis of the song Miss the Start, Miss the End. Uh, that's a two-part sequence that starts in a performance hall with an opera singer being coached and uh, ends in a working-class pub with a giddy, boozy sing-along, including Peeny. Sparks has always been, at least in part, about holding dissonant concepts together in tension with one another to produce something wholly new and different. Peeny does a great job communicating that aspect of Sparks, both to seasoned fans who may be watching, as well as to neophytes. If you haven't seen the movie yet, I already have two answers for you ready to go. Number one, yes, Ron and Russell do show up in the film, but it's really just a quick cameo. And two, you can't. You cannot buy the movie, it isn't on DVD, it's not on Blu-ray, and you can't legally download and possess a digital copy. 
As Peeney explains in the interview, he was only granted music rights for festival distribution and television by Ron and Russ. That's a real tragedy, and one hopes that Ron and Russ will have a change of heart before long, because Never Turn Your Back on Sparks is a real delight to watch, and Peeney has such an obvious love for the film's subject. After my interview, there's a short clip of Peeney discussing the film at the 2016 Sarat International Israeli Film and TV Festival, which, naturally, was held in London. And with that, here's Peeney Shots. Peeney Shots from Israel. And you are making a documentary about Sparks. I'm making a documentary about Sparks fans. About Sparks? Okay, about Sparks fans. What ridiculous idea. When I was younger, I used to batter people into liking Sparks. You know, I used to just demand they get converted to Sparks. Okay, here comes the Sparks. Let's see what they really are. And they just blew me away. They're very healthy people. You know, they've always, they've always inspired me to live a healthy life. I had never heard of Ingmar Bergman, for example, before I met those guys. I had my picture taken with them, which is forever up in my Hall of Fame area. They just told me that it was okay to try and be clever. Okay. Peeny, how are you? Good evening. Uh, sitting in isolation at home. <laughs> yes, very, very As familiar. The rest of the world. Exactly, like the rest of the <laughs> world. And like the rest of the world, we're having to c- communicate virtually through Zoom. And I uh, wanted to talk to you a little bit about that uh, really excellent uh, documentary that you made a, a couple of years ago about Sparks fans. Uh, Never Turn Your Back on Sparks. Um, The name of my podcast, by the way, is called All You Ever Think About is Sparks. (laughs) (laughs) So we we have Sparks uh, fandom uh, in common, for sure. Um, So let me me ask you a a couple of questions. Uh, Well, I've got several, actually. So when, first off, what made you decide to make the focus of your film the 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 world of fandom about fans in particular for sparks as opposed to doing say you know a straight documentary you know say a, a biographical documentary on the band itself well uh, first of all uh, as every fan knows sparks are not easy to reach and no not easy to convince and not easy to let uh, they won't allow you to get you in your their private lives Right. And uh, what uh, actually happened, uh, it's about 10 years ago, I think it was January 2010. I was sitting with uh, Gibi Avivi, who became my producer, and he wanted to, uh, us to make a film, and with my wife. And I was talking about my previous film, which was, what is called uh, Liquid of Life, uh, Liquid of Life, but it's a film about blood. Oh. And I said it's that uh, my films are uh, falling between chairs, sort of speak. Uh, like it's too uh, popular for avant-garde crowd ah. and too uh, too weird and too quirky for a, a mainstream crowd. And I said, yeah, it's like a spark song. Exactly. And my wife and my films. <laughs> and uh, my wife said, So make the film about sparks. And, and that's how it started because in uh, Liquid of Life, I had a part, uh, uh, a scene from uh, Guy Madden's Dracula. Oh. And I was a friend, sort of a friend with Guy Madden. And when I heard that he was supposed to be a director of Bergman musical, so I contacted him and said, I want to make a film uh, about Sparks. And he said, I will recommend uh, you to them. And uh, I sent them an email. And in 24 hours, they, I got a response from Ron and Russell. Really? That they would like to see the record of life. And then they will decide. And I sent them, there were no links there. I, I sent them DVD by uh, mail. 
and they loved the film and they said they agree that I'll make a film. They even helped me to uh, write a, a, a letter to the fans to participate, but they said that they won't be in a film and it will be only about the fans. And uh, actually, I, in advance, I told them it will be about the fans only because I understood what uh, uh, diff- difficult clients the miles are. Yes. So, uh, so it's, uh, and uh, then they started, uh, they helped me to write this letter to fans on, uh, on the, uh, Sparks uh, website. And uh, people started uh, uh, writing to me and uh, suggesting what uh, I can do. And uh, at first I wanted also people to make uh, videos and send it to me. And some of them were made and uh, you cannot distinguish them uh, with our things that we made. I'll tell you later what of uh, scenes I wasn't even there. Hmm. Well, I've got to say, I, that's, uh, I'm, I, I'm impressed. I, I didn't realize that, uh, that you had actually reached to Ron and Russell and like, A, that, you know, they, they, they praised your, um, your previous film, which uh, yeah. I would like to see. That, that so uh, was my luck that they liked the previous film so much. And, uh, on the on the uh, four and a half years it took to make this film, so it was ups and downs, and uh, it was not easy with them, and they didn't like some of the things, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually they did like it, but it was very hard with them. It was like hot shower, cold shower over time, <laughs> and uh, I did meet them uh, backstage in London on uh, 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 two hands, one mouth right. uh, in Barbican. And uh, a month later, we had uh, a Skype uh, conversation about an hour uh, at the same uh, room I'm sitting right, right now. Huh. And, uh, but somehow it, it, it uh, didn't work with video, only audio. They didn't want mm. me, I suppose, to film it. And um, what another very strange event happened during this conversation. It was the first time that during this hour that Hamas shot missiles on Tel Aviv. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, well, that... Um would create at least a, an audio disturbance. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did they, I mean, first of all, when you, when you reached out to them, I assume you, you did that through their, their management, uh, Sue, Sue Harris, I think. No, I got it, got to them through, uh, Guy Madden okay. directly without management. Then at the end of 2010, I got to meet Sue Harris their manager and now then it became more formal and the year after i went to uh, meet them and i there is uh, uh, i shot uh, a little bit backstage on uh, this uh, barbican uh, concert and they agreed also to uh, to have only uh, still photographs that ends the film Mm-hmm. Uh, and we didn't agree but to be filmed at all. Now and then I tried to convince them to have a scene with them, and they refused again and again. Yeah, steadfast. That's that's definitely uh, that's, so that's very common. Probably wanted more celebrity, like Edgar Wright, to make a film about him, and not some obscure right. filmmaker from Israel. <clears throat> Now, um, you shot this over what a four or five year period? When, when, four were you and a half years, you know, uh, a lot of uh, vacant time in between, between waiting to raise money. Uh, I got money from um, uh, Rabinovich Fund, Tel Aviv uh, Fund for Documentaries and Feature Films. So, you received public uh, funding? Sorry to interrupt. No, no, I didn't do uh, start. Uh, 
didn't for uh, the public funding. My producer Gideavi we invested money, and I invested some money. We both uh, didn't uh, didn't take any uh, salary from this film, so we are both in debt till now. And uh, and at the end, at, uh, the cost of a film was more or less the making of a film was. Uh, the same amount when we had to pay for the music rights in the end. And oh. we have music rights only for festivals and TV. And uh, so uh, only one station bought uh, the film. It's uh, Swedish television. Mm. In Israel, nobody bought the film because it's mm -hmm. so obscure band and nobody knows them now. I suppose with Annette coming out, Somebody, they will discover it. If that comes out this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything is postponed, yeah. but it will be, it will happen. At, uh, and uh, so, uh, and uh, there was a producer, uh, that American producer, that eventually helped us at the last moment with some money, uh, John Colkins. He's credited as executive producer, uh, together with Thomas Prashek, that is... Uh, the uh, Czech uh, producer who is still trying to produce the Bergman musical. That's all started 10 years ago. Wow. So you said that you, you received, so you had the rights for festivals and, and something else. What was it? And uh, festivals, cinematics, and uh, TV. And but TV. only one station bought the TV, right. uh, bought the film, and... I had uh, quite uh, a good uh, circuit of uh, festivals. I was in Barcelona, in London, in uh, Rome, uh, and the film traveled without me to Canada and to Chile. Wow. And uh, to Philadelphia, Philamoca of uh, Eric Breisler. And uh, it was at Southend on Sea with Derry Risley, who mm -hmm. hosted the film. It's a small festival but very unique. And there is the, who wrote a film, a, an, an authorized biography of Sparks helped me also uh, a lot. I'm holding that in my hand right now as we speak, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the Daryl Easley uh, biography there. So, I mean, it sounds like you were able to get some decent uh, distribution on the festival circuit, but you weren't, were you not uh, able to uh, produce any DVDs? Yes. That's a problem. Right, right. So it must have been very hard so to... We, we needed to add about $50,000 oh. only to continue to music to have music guys to put it online or to have a DVD. So I'm guessing it was very difficult to recoup any of the, any of the money that you invested to make the film. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was a labor of love. I was, you know? I was, yeah, I was, I was going to say those words exactly. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, it, it really does come through. It's, um, I, I just watched it again, uh, this morning to, to prepare, uh, for this. And it's, I, um, I, I enjoy how succinct it is. I mean, you really pack a lot into, I think it's about 50, 56 minutes long. So it yeah, would, it's very, very intense. Like, uh, it is something over. Of everything. <laughs> um, so you clearly, as as you described in your narration in the film, you've been a Sparks fan since you were, you know, a, a, a boy uh, growing yes. up in in Israel, and um, <laughs> and that must and you even you even brought this up how how strange it must have been for other people to see you a teenage boy a fan of this rock band with a keyboard player with a Hitler mustache. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, it, it, there were not enough uh, famous here, even though this town was success, success of course, uh, to, to even, uh, and there were no uh, video, pro, uh, music videos program even in Israel in mid 70s. Mm -hmm. So, uh, except for maybe some uh, uh, <clears throat> still photos in some uh, youth newspaper. Nobody really knows, knew how they look. So it's, it wasn't really a, a problem of uh, like it was like in uh, other parts of the world that people were shocked to see Ron's mustache. Right. And, uh, but uh, here it was just uh, the weirdness of the music of uh, 
it was enough to be to, to be outcast. <laughs> Now, have you have you kept up with their musical career since then? I mean, it's been what over yeah, 50 I, years I, now. I really don't remember how, but I got every album even though they didn't they weren't released over 80s American not so good albums. I have them and I got them at at the time that they were released and I really don't remember how did I uh, yeah. acquire them. And uh, when I started start uh, uh, studying cinema, I, almost all my first uh, exercises in uh, film was connected to Sparks so? somehow. Uh, this also I realized only after I started to make a movie. I, I realized that all the first exercises, all the first uh, tryouts in my uh, studies were connected to sparks in in what way that's that's very interesting uh, it was like to, sh- to uh, it was an exercise to so to show some uh, uh, development in stills so i shot uh, all the album covers uh, of sparks in the 70s and 80s and it was or if it was i made a uh, Uh, uh a commercial for whiskey uh-huh uh, and with and the soundtrack was under the table with her uh-huh and uh, so it in and and it was like uh, some uh, british uh, colonialist who is sitting in uh, india and sipping the whiskey and the music is under the table and this her. was a whiskey ad on television yeah It was a whiskey ad, student whiskey ad. It was oh, not okay. real whiskey ad. <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> so did while you were working on the film over those those four and a half years, how, how much of your life did this take up? I mean, it wasn't a well, my, my job. My game job is I'm uh, head of programming at uh, Television Cinematheque. So oh, wow. So I'm quite busy with that. So I managed to make three, three films during... Uh, in 20 years because of that only the films and um, so it, it took a, a week there a day there and uh, so we went to uh, five days to shoot in uh, England two days in Berlin uh, three days in uh, New York and uh, and also we request, requested some uh, fans to prepare their own videos. I sent them uh, questions and sent them also some uh, directions how to shoot it, what to do, and uh, I got them. Uh, it ended up very good because most of the people cannot tell which of the scenes are actually without my presence. No, I couldn't tell at all. I, I really could so tell. So it's uh, Christian Hoffman made his video. Oh, okay. And Jamila Naji. Okay, I was yeah, I was going to ask about a, a couple of those people because you you interviewed lots of people, some well known, some yeah. not well known, uh, and you kind of mentioned this at the top of the interview. So these, did you decide on these people as interview subjects through? Uh, through Ron and Russell's uh, website? Uh, Ron and Russell sent me a, a list of musicians, most of them I already knew, that yeah. are considered fans. And I contacted, contacted uh, them, um, some of them uh, through agents, and this never led to anything. Because ah. they, uh, agents doesn't, don't help. Well, But I... When I, but I got to some of them through acquaintances, and this worked. Like Joe Elliott, it was through somebody who knew him and uh, without agents. Uh, also Tony Visconti, and Jello um, Biafra was yeah. another story because he was supposed to have a, a concert here in Israel. 
and he came, but uh, the concert was cancelled because of uh, BDS. The Palestinians pressured him not to have the concert. Oh, wow. So he, so he had a vacant time. So he had time to give an interview. So he was just in Tel Aviv. Amazing. It was five minute walk from my home, the interview with Jello Biafra. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, I was really impressed you know, with the interviews um, with, with Jello Biafra and, and especially Tony Visconti. I mean, I. Yeah. I Tony Visconti imagine. was great. It was in New York in his studio. Uh-huh. And at first he said, you have half an hour. And then we sat there for two hours wow. talking. And uh, he was he really enjoyed it, and he even wrote to Ronald Russell how much he enjoyed it. Really, that's fantastic. Yeah, that was I, I really enjoyed that segment. He was he was clearly very very generous uh, with his time there, and and he got to show you his uh, process for recording a song for. Yeah. I I guess that that's was what the, I wanted to to be it, uh, a a bit different for other documentaries. First yeah. of all, it's really. Uh, weird documentary. Uh, it's like Sparks' song to to make it very uh, quirky. Yes, and but also to have uh, emphasize uh, the music itself, how you make it, not just uh, uh, you know uh, talking about, but explaining. I really, really, I did appreciate the interviews where people are breaking down how. Some of these songs are are composed. Um, yeah. Jonathan Bargiora, who wrote uh, the score for my previous film, uh, uh, Liquid of Life, uh-huh. he is a composer of about hundred films in Israel, and uh, he's a Sparks fan also from the age of thirteen. So we were, wrote together the, the script, and uh, one of the scenes. Uh, when he uh, explains uh, Mr. Start with the end, it's mm-hmm. his idea to combine this uh, opera singer with uh, the drunken people in the yeah. pub. One of the drunken people is the editor of the film, Dostoy. Oh, okay. And uh, but uh, what what I added, it's that I turned it to a sort of. Uh, a tribute to Mulholland Drive by David Lynch because of the, of the uh, scene at the stage. Oh. Uh, it reminds uh, a scene of a singer in Mulholland Drive. Yes, I knew that they reminded me of something. Okay, I, I get the Mulholland Drive connection. Um, <laughs> that um, That segment was one of my favorite in the film where you – Start with uh, in- interviewing your friend, the the composer, and he has the opera singer, and you can see her taking a moment, almost struggling with th- what she has to do vocally to you know, to match what Ron has composed at the top of "Miss the Start, Miss the End," and then you know you see her on stage doing that homage to Mulholland Drive, and then you do that quick cut to it's like going from high art to low art. Because then yeah. you're sitting around with with drunk guys at a pub, uh, and that I I really enjoyed that, and I liked a lot of the other scenes where you had uh, inserted yourself. And was that something that you had decided to do at the outset? Was to insert uh, yourself as a character in the film? Uh, it, I'm a, quite a shy person, but uh, I understood that I have to do it because otherwise it will be just very. Uh, mediocre uh, documentary because the moment sparks are not in a film uh-huh. you have to have a protag- protagonist who who will lead it and it yes. became sort of my journey to prove that I'm not alone and that I'm not crazy well <laughs> well maybe we're all crazy <laughs> but um, yeah I thought that I, I really did a I did like that it made it very personal. And it uh, it helped me to forge a, a connection as a viewer to yourself, but also all of these different people and what all these very, very different people might have in common. I mean, you've got some, you know, besides the well-known people like Visconti and uh, Angelo um, and um, uh, Joe Elliott, you also have some really interesting characters here. The I forget the gentleman's name, but the, the Sonic Laminator. 
Yeah. That guy, how did you Ed find Ed Montgomery him? from New York. He's, what, what was he's his name? He's uh, wonderful. He's so funny. Yeah. What was his name again? Ken Montgomery. Ken Montgomery. That's right. Yeah. How did you come across that? That's it's uh, he, he when I pub uh, when I published this letter that I'm looking for fans, so he got in touch in touch with me, and uh, and he I, it, I didn't uh, really know what he's going to do, and all the scene was improvised in, at, on on the stay on at his home. And it was really, really crazy. And <laughs> uh, my, some of the people were against the scene, and my editor told me, you have to open the film with the scene to set the tone to show that this is a crazy film. Okay. Like sparks. <laughs> I, I, good choice. Yeah, very, very good choice. Because, yeah, when that scene opens up, I'm thinking, this is not going to be like any kind of rock <laughs> documentary that I've I've ever seen before. Um, he's a really interesting guy. So you, this was in New York. You flew out to New York. You yeah. and your crew. Yeah, I was uh, representing Cinematech at uh, uh, Tribeca Film Festival. Oh wow! And I just uh, took two out of the five days for filming the scenes with Tony Visconti and with Ken. And, oh great! Uh, so it's- well, that's handy. Okay, so you managed to to get those done in in uh, yeah. in the same uh, couple of days. Uh, yeah. Some really some other interesting characters that, that I noted here. You've got that woman uh, Jamila Naji, the painter yeah. who paints those <laughs> pictures of what? of Ron and inside a flower or yeah, as a toy it's, without uh, batteries. Crazy. It's it's also uh, just got to her. I don't even remember exactly, but uh, uh, at first when we thought we'll have more money, I, I was really planning to fly to every city. <laughs> With a fan, but wow. uh, when I asked her to make this video, and it was excellent. Uh, yeah, that came out. She, and she's really one of the obsessive fans, <laughs> and but not, you know, she's she 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 understands. It. She she has a humor. It's not like she's not aware of it. <laughs> yeah, and so and that's one thing that I. That I have noticed too, um, because you know, I mean, you're interviewing all of these different people. You've got famous people, and you've got non-famous people. You've got people who are musicians, and you've got other people. And some people are are are, I guess you would say, like like Jamila Naji, obsessive fans. But there's a level of self-awareness that they all seem to have. Yeah, they are interesting. I think they're like sparks. They they have. Uh... Their self-awareness, and they they are more cynical, and uh, they are uh, have have the sense of humor. Everybody has a sense of humor, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and uh, so it's uh, it's not like uh, although it it can be seen as a film about fans uh, of any band. Uh, it's not uh, like a herd that it's people like sheep are following some uh, uh, band and people uh, and I know that some of them don't like everything like Sparks do, you know, I I even had some uh, cynical remarks about Terminal Jive in the film and uh, so so, uh, people are aware of uh, uh, them being so obsessed. You attended a Sparks fan convention. Where where was that convention you went to? It was in Brighton. Alex Robertson organized it with uh, Jane Wood. And then Alpha Mile performed. And they uh, added... uh, It was the biggest Sparks convention, uh, I think, that was made uh, ever because even... Harley uh, uh, Feinstein and uh, uh, Trevor and Ian came to play with uh, Alpha Male. Wow. So it was good to catch all the uh, fans and ex-Sparks at the same. It it took two days to film uh, and it was 
really intense, but we got a lot of material from the, these two days. Did you know that, that Harley Feinstein and, and the other two were going to be attending that convention? Yes, we, oh, okay. we were, everything was planned. Uh, we knew it. That's why I convinced my producer that we, we still didn't have any money at that point. So he paid for all this. We went with, uh, I went with three people with a crew with two cameras to film it like a normal rock concert to have at least two cameras. And, uh, so it, it was very, very, uh, good to have all these people caught together at the same time yeah that's yeah that's definitely advantageous from a from a, a budget standpoint as well and, uh, we had a lot of many times some luck like with Gemma Ray in Berlin yeah oh, it was, was about to uh, leave uh, I landed at uh, nine in the morning in Berlin and she had a flight back to London at two o'clock. So I arrived from the airport with my luggage to the pub when we were supposed to meet. And she came also with her luggage on her way to the airport. And uh, as it was, uh, as we came together with uh, some uh, luggage, so I said, okay, let's uh, make some slapstick. Mm -hmm. And we will, so there's a scene with, we are going with, our uh, luggage and uh, it collides at the enter uh -huh. in, at the entrance of the pub. <laughs> uh, and it's also a tribute to another filmmaker, Jacques Tati, because it's always awkward slapstick. Oh, that's and right. Jacques Tati, who was supposed to work with Sparks, and it didn't work out. Uh, that's right. I yeah, I recall. Yeah, I remember hearing that Tati and Sparks had talked in the around seventy five, seventy six about doing mm. a, a either a film or a television show, and I guess it never... was supposed to be a comedy, uh, Tati style, and uh, they were supposed to be the protagonist of this film, and of course to write the music. And uh, the only thing that survived is the song uh, "Confusion." Confusion, yeah, which you, yeah, which you featured in the film. Uh, man, yeah. that would have been that's such a that's a shame. That's such a missed opportunity. I, I always thought that Ron and Russell would be excellent protagonists for some sort of Tati-like, <laughs> strange, you know, awkward, quirky kind of comedy. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, so your your producer must have had an awful lot of faith. Um, in you and the project, I mean, I, it just it it looks uh, expensive. Well, my producer was uh, in the same class with me in the Tel Aviv University, so we go back for thirty six years already, and uh, he was um, uh, one of the, when he was in uh, in the army, he was the editor of. Uh, uh, Army Station Hit Parade. Oh, wow. And uh, later, he was for years one of the leading mu rock music critics in Israel. So he's, huh. he doesn't like Sparks, by the way. He doesn't <laughs> like Sparks. And yet, and yet he did I, I all this. I think he hates him now. But <laughs> yeah, by now, right. Oh, wow. But, uh, but he understood this, uh, this, uh, and these sensibilities yeah. of uh, well, that's... fans and uh, he, he, he's more into Rolling Stones Bruce Springsteen uh, uh, meat, meat and potatoes yeah uh, <laughs> as, yeah as uh, who said that I think it was Visconti had, uh, yeah, Visconti. yeah something, something like that there so when, when you were when you were traveling to all these different places Berlin London New York Brighton uh, how big of a crew did you have with you uh to Brighton and London, we uh, when we also in London we shot the uh, uh, radio scene with uh, Ian Lee. Mm -hmm. um, we, we had three uh, uh, assistant producer and uh, two uh, uh, cameramen and uh, this assistant cameraman. In Berlin, we had I had only one cameraman, and in uh, New York, we hired local. Uh, cameraman and uh, soundman and um, uh, there is one scene 
shots in at the equator. It was shot by my wife at uh, when we went to my son's bar mitzvah uh, trip to Kenya. Oh, so wow. uh, we're about five or six uh, cinematographers, including my wife. <laughs> um, so your your wife is a cinematographer. So she's also a, a filmmaker, or my, she's in the- my wife designed the film. She's she designed for poster. She designed all the captions, and she designed all posters Those- for my. She had a, a graphic design studio, huh. and she died. Uh, during the making of the film from cancer. Oh my goodness. She was on the, uh, she did uh, participate at the premiere at Haifa Film Festival in October uh, 2014. And uh, the Tel Aviv premiere was already in in her uh, memory. I'm very sorry for for your loss, Pini. Yeah, she Um, was 48. Wow, so almost five years now. That's that's incredibly, incredibly young. Uh, well, that you're, that was um, that was that was wonderful that the, that she was willing and, and able to help you with this uh, this project. Yeah. Um, I, there was a question I wanted to ask you a little bit uh, earlier. Since you do have a few interviews about the musical structure and the composition of some of the songs, are you are you a musician yourself at all? No, I, I played piano very amateurishly, mm-hmm. but uh, no, I just, it was my dream to make a uh, music film, so it happened. <laughs> right. So what, and uh, what was, what was one of the most challenging aspects of, of making this film? Well, it's like every film, money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because we were waiting uh, for, uh, it was, uh, we had uh, we filmed it in the beginning of 2011, in January, we filmed in Holland. Mm-hmm. Then in uh, May, we had Brighton. And then we had about a year and a half till next stage in Berlin. And so it. And every time we just waited for more money and for, uh, and the other thing was really to, we had more celebrities who agreed to participate and as celebrities do, they disappeared. I had already a crew, uh, to film, uh, Morrissey. Ah. And he disappeared. Oh and, my goodness. Uh, uh, that sounds like a very Morrissey thing to do. And what? what's uh, funny, because uh, a few years later, uh, there was a Mike Patton concert here in Tel Aviv, uh-huh. and I got to meet him backstage, and I told him about Morrissey, and he said, well, he started talking bad, badly about Morrissey, what a diva, uh-huh. and he promised to, uh, that he would participate. And he disappeared. Oh no! <laughs> oh, that's a shame. I've I've got a couple of friends who are really big Mike Mike Patton fans, and, and then, of course uh, Capranos was supposed to have an interview with me when I was in London. Uh-huh. Uh huh. On the same day that was uh, the two heads one mouth show. Yeah. And uh, at the last moment, it was cancelled. And then I said, "Okay, let's do it on uh, Skype." And then uh, his manager organized the Skype, and I sat about 12 hours with my uh, computer, and he didn't answer. And and then I met him uh, personally, and he apologized, but the film was already finished by then. Well, that's why why it's time to make a, a sequel, I suppose. (laughs) <laughs> finally get Alex and uh, Mike Patton and Morrissey probably won't show again but <laughs> oh, no Morrissey's uh, it's, it's, but but it's it's okay I don't like him anyway <laughs> yeah 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 I've yeah I hear from all over that he's uh, a difficult person to know uh, personally um yeah I, that uh, I I was just thinking about this because you were talking about your uh, your wife's your late wife's uh, participation uh, in the project and uh, she uh, she designed uh, 
most of uh, what you see. I really enjoy those, the intertitles uh, near the beginning of the film. She mm-hmm. has those intertitles that make it look like a, a silent film. Yes, yes. That was really well done. And um, and in the background, I'm I'm hearing a sort of early 1910s kind of Tin Pan Alley version of I think it was some something for the girl with everything. Yeah, yeah it Where was uh, Jonathan's uh, idea. He's uh, he, he's playing this uh, opening. Oh, great! Yeah, that works so well because it also shows um, one thing that I've that I've always thought of that there is a um, that there is sort of a, a vaudeville quality to yeah. to Sparks' music and their presentation. I thought that that did a very good job of making that that connection. Mm-hmm. I've just got a so couple. When, when I met uh, Ronan Russell in London, uh-huh. so I bought him uh, posters my wife designed. Uh, I brought Ron a uh, poster of a great dictator in Hebrew. Uh-huh. And uh, to Russell, a poster of uh, Jacques Demy's uh, uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg, that is his favorite film. Right. That's so right. I really liked it because it was like. Very connected to their uh, uh, favorite f- uh, films, and uh. wow, yeah, I'm sure he appreciated uh, that very much. Um, now, I've just got a, cu- a couple more uh, questions for you, and I'll let you get on with your day. Um, so, this obviously the the version that that I watched, and uh, the one that that uh, made it to the festivals was was in English. Did you release this? In Hebrew or other languages, there is a Hebrew subtitle version that is was screened in Israeli cinematics to about ten or twelve screenings around the country, and uh, that's all. Because uh, when it was in festivals like in Barcelona or Santiago, it's enough to have English subtitles. Oh, I see. Okay, so you didn't have to worry with German subtitles or no, Spanish no. subtitles because right. Well, that's that's the beauty of being an English speaker, I suppose. Is the, yes. the world bends to you. Um, it, the, after the film was completed, and uh, you know, you started hitting the festival circuit. Did you get any feedback after that from Ron and Russell or their management? Well, at first, I, I sent them a rough cut. It was a huge mistake by me. I sent ah. them a rough cut that they really hated, and they stopped. Uh, answering my emails oh. for about uh, five months, and uh, only Sue Harris was sending me some complaints. And oh, no. uh, then, uh, after my wife died, I told them about it. They, of course, they replied immediately, and I said, "Now I want you to see the fine cut," and they really loved it. Good. Good. And then I uh, wrote uh, emails with compliments. And then I took these emails and quoted it on Facebook. And I got email in, you know, five hours from Suarez. Don't publish these emails. We are, we are, we are private. Uh huh. So I had to erase them from my Facebook. Right. Yes, I know she, she's. So she, it's, that's Sparks. That is that is Sparks, and I, I know Sue, Sue Harris is doing her job and doing it very yeah. well. I've I've um, I've had an email correspondence with her myself, mm-hmm. um, so I, <laughs> I completely understand that. <clears throat> They're very protective, of course, of their their yeah. image and uh, their music, etc. Um, well, again, I really enjoyed the the film. Uh, you've packed so much in into one hour, and it really does a great job of showing the breadth and the depth of Sparks uh, fandom. Uh, what are you working on? Anything uh, right now, Pini? I mean, obviously, right now, right now, it's fairly difficult with everyone being trapped in their well, homes. Uh, I'm now uh, after my wife died, I haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of. Uh, it's hard to me to imagine yes. a film that she won't be doing the poster. And uh, anyway, I'm now uh, have another job at uh, Film Fund, but I'm the chief uh, art director of the documentaries. So I'm, it's not uh, ethical to me for me, meanwhile, to make anything because I'm judging others. So maybe when I will finish this job, 
but so far I don't have any desire to make another film. Sure. Sure. Um, well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I know there's really nowhere for anyone to go, but, uh, but I do thank you so much for your time and for making this great film. Uh, once again, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry for your loss and, um, I'm, I'm really thankful that, uh, that your your wife was able to, to contribute to this wonderful project that you made. Thank you so much, Peeny. Have a great okay. day. My name is uh, Pini Schatz. I'm the director of the film Never Turn Your Back on Sparks. It's a rockumentary about fans of American band Sparks all over the world. The band exists for 45 years now and uh, it's a couple of eccentric brothers Ron and Russell Meyer and the film is as eccentric as the brothers. I'm their fan from the age of 13, and it's a uh, uh, borderline obsession, ob uh, obsession. and um, it was very, everybody who heard that I'm going to make this film said it's impossible to make, it's a crazy idea, and eventually it was, it took four years, but it was filmed on four continents for almost no budget, but it's, uh, and it's very successful among people who see it, and even Sparks like it. They started uh, loving them because of uh, eccentric music, and uh, there's a claim that Queen stole their uh, fame, became more famous with them because they, this sort of operatic rock, they started it a few years be before Queen, and Queen was even once their uh, warm-up act, but uh, when uh, the, the hardcore fans are uh, like Queen as well, but some of them hate Queen because they stole their fame.